so that is the fanciness that is going on right now. And now I've got it recording and it should be able to record forever as far as I know. Uh, And if it breaks somewhere in the middle, that's fine. Like worse things have happened. Um, Yeah. I'm just going to fill screen right here is what I'm going to do. That's what I did. (laughs) Yeah, it's the best. All right. So you turned when at the beginning of this, it was all dark, right? And then you turned your light on and you were across the room and I didn't have any understanding of depth context yeah yeah and i thought the microphone that was sitting right in front of you now was actually a punching bag by your door (laughs) and i was like oh adam have you gotten into like typo (laughs) (laughs) no no i've gotten into sitting at my computer forever and ever and ever amen uh and it's oh man that's too funny is what it is so uh yeah, the the idea here is basically just hang out and talk for like an hour about games that we're playing, games that we're working on, uh, games that we want to see, random things that we've noticed about games, uh, just, you know, kind of whatever you want to talk about. Um, and one of the it. great things about having you on is that you, like me, are omni-gamer-ish, uh, and so kind of hitting the whole gamut of what tabletop is effectively um i believe it so we're very pilot episode today uh i've got a host set up so that it shouldn't be too bad of a time to actually get this uploaded and uh listenable like super quick hopefully um depending on how long editing takes uh but yeah so it's going to be really funky as a pilot because there's no kind of structure that I really have. Right. Well, I already asked you about Tybo, so. Yeah, I mean that's that's staying in. I mean, I'm not I'm not cutting that whatsoever. Uh, you know, this is a family friendly show, so as long as as long as nothing else crazy gets in here, I'm, I think we're okay. Um, oh, but okay. so Good but so know. how about family like if, as far as, as long as doing a as far as doing a pilot and doing kind of an interview e format, uh, do you yeah. want to do an introduction of yourself and like what you're working on right now and that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, uh, I'm Ken Kuhn. Uh, I am a life coach and a board game developer for GMT games. I play a lot of games. I've played along a lot of games and I love board games. What so you- that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. What have you played most recently, Ken? Well, the literally the last thing I was playing was an 18xx game online. <laughs> I um, am a huge proponent and heavy user of 18xx.games. I usually have between 6 to 10 games running at the same time. 1822 launched a week ago or a week and a half ago. And I think the most copies of that running at the same time I've had is four games oh, geez. of it running, but it's an alpha. So I'm doing my part in right. finding bugs. <laughs> I'm um, sure that's the only reason you're doing I don't, it. Totally. And also you don't have to count the losses when it's an alpha. That's at least what I told myself because you're really trying to help <laughs> the site. How long is 1822? Right? So, like if you were going to play it uh, in person straight through, how long would it be? Do you think? Yeah. So when we've played it in person, uh, like the day we played at your house, that took us probably six and a half hours, and it's pretty regularly around six hours. I think for slower groups, it can be up to eight, 
Um, I don't really play the full thing anymore. I've been playing it on 18xx.games because mm-hmm. uh, that's the only thing available right now. But right. I prefer the shorter versions of it, like the medium regional scenario, which right. is just like the bottom two-thirds of the map. And that plays in like three to four hours, which is a little bit more crushable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great game, and I'm having a lot of fun. I, um, I finished one game online already, actually. Nice. And it took... Ooh, I don't know, maybe maybe seven or eight days. So, you but know, like, that's kind of the scope we're talking about. But, like, active playtime, do you think it's it's faster online because you're not messing with money as much? Or, like, what else might be a little bit faster? It's a lot faster to play a live game online than a live game in person. Sure. The problem is, and that's simply because you're not manipulating money... Um, you know, you're not recalculating routes or what's really nice is it uses preset routes. So if you use a route and then somebody updates a tile, upgrades a tile and upgrades the, um, it calculates for you. Yeah. It calculates it for you. So there's so much time saved in that. Um, also they recently put in, um, auto functionality so you can like tell it to you know buy this many shares during the stock round or buy until a company floats or pass me because i'm not i don't have any money left or Mm -hmm. pass until sell you know so they have a very smart auto ai actually which is really great and so we used that in a live game this weekend and we played a game of 1882 which is a 1830 style game um set in canada it's a very cool design and we played it in uh, an hour and 12 minutes. So that was just a, that was like a record speed um, before. That was a unique end game where I bankrupted somebody in the game and then somebody else won. Let's do... I was, very, I was upset. <laughs> because, because the people that I'm attached to are like, I have people that are RPGs only. I have people that are right. Euro games only. I have people that are war games only. Uh, let's yes. do kind of an intro 18xxe cast uh, and talk sure. about because you're talking about an 1830s style, which is yes. there are subgenres in this genre, which is always really cool. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking about bankrupting other people's companies and games that are four to eight hours long, which my the war gamer and RPGers are like whatever, and the euro gamers are like how could you sit down for that long? Uh, Absolutely, which is a very reasonable take. Um, but so 18xx, we're talking about stocks and shares, uh, probably railroads uh, in in all normal versions of the thing. Probably some historical uh, theme, but not necessarily. Uh, and really, your goal is uh, make as much money for yourself while manipulating things that are not necessarily yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, was, I was trying to talk to somebody. Was it was it you who I was talking to who was trying to figure out what is the core of what 18xx has to be? Or was that the Nykirks? I can't remember. Um, It could have been both. It could have been all of us at the same time. Yeah, that's highly <laughs> possible. So what So what do you think um, is like necessary to be 18xx? Or is it just put the put the name on the box and you're good? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's n- not that. Not that. Uh, for me... 
I like to think of there being three spheres of game in an 18xx game. I like to think of there being some sort of financial aspect, which is usually seen through manipulating the stock market, selling and buying shares. Um, and in the process, you may become the director slash president of a company and you then would run that company, which kind of brings you into the second sphere, which is really um, there's always some sort of map involved in 18xx games where you are literally laying out routes in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And those routes go between different cities and they give you payout income options. And then you kind of use your companies to run trains, which we will get to in a second, uh, to then, um, you know, kind of build this map out. So for me, it's stock market, it's building some sort of map, running routes in some kind of fashion. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the last thing is a tech tree that most normally looks like uh, buying uh exceedingly or uh, continually growing distance of trains or the, I don't know that you would say like the way that trains, the capacity for trains to run farther, make more money as sure. the game progresses. Kind of uh, so company, those are kind of the three things for me. Company modifications and map modifications being separate, even though both of them could potentially increase the amount of money that a company is going to make. Yeah. Totally. So, right. so styles. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so yeah, well, and then as you look across the genre, you can manipulate any of those three spheres and totally change a game. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, um, if you take the same game and you use a different stock market, literally, if you haven't seen an 18xx game, it looks like a set of columns and rows of numbers and you have a little disc that notes where that company's value is at on the, on the chart and then during the game different actions move that disc up or down in value mm -hmm. okay if you change the way that looks but you keep the map and the trains the same you have a totally different game mm -hmm. and so when you manipulate one of the three major spheres um, or even subparts of those spheres mm -hmm. you get completely different games and so that's why 18xx has this really um, great rep reputation for being a system that you typically learn and then through different titles you get to explore. Sure. So uh, in in other tabletop gaming areas, you might have deck builders. Do you think, right. you know, and right now we have games that are, they aren't deck builders primarily, but they might use deck building as a part of them. But there are still several, right. you know, several very big games that are, only deck builder but they can still be right. super different because of the cards and maybe what you're using the cards for do you think do you think there's still a lot of room for more 18xx design and is that primarily in messing with these mechanical details or is it more like a war game system where if you take a new historical spot that you could probably make a very similar game to something that exists and just using another map make it a very interesting new game? Uh, I would say both and. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, earlier I mentioned the, um, I mentioned the 1882, mm -hmm. which is the 1830 style game set in Canada, mm -hmm. right? And one of the really cool little um, changes that the designer Mark Voyer made in that game uh, is that he gave companies neutral tokens. 
Now, in the game, uh, in any 18xx game, you have tokens for different companies that represent stations that you can you can run trains between, and you have to have a station on the route that you're running trains because you have to have somewhere for your trains to start or go through, and that's what stations do. So in 1882, the designer does this really cool thing where he introduces neutral stations, which means that anybody can run through them. It doesn't block a space because in cities, in 18xx games, there's a certain number of, we, we sometimes call them holes, but they represent places, uh, little, little circles where you can place these disks that represent your stations. Well, it can get full. There's a finite number of these, these disk spaces on a city. So by introducing a neutral station, Mark introduced a way for multiple people to be able to go through the same city. And then he did an extra cool thing, which really makes it come together, mm -hmm. which is he put a company in the game that all of their home station markers are everybody else's neutral station markers. <laughs> and so that company can't start until there is at least one neutral station on the board. And then once at least one is on the board, as people use these neutral stations, which become very important to access on the map because the map is really tight, mm -hmm. then that company gets to use all of these neutral stations that people put out. Sure. That's just one example of a cool thing that Mark did in 1882. And I think there's a, a lot of ways to continue to explore and change and do different things um, within the system. But at the same time, in a lot of ways, changing a map changes the game dramatically, and um, and I, and and that's just as fun because you know and it and it kind of depends on the part of the game that you really enjoy. Uh, you kind of asked a couple of times now, what do you mean by an 1830 style, right? And so we have these kind of two major branches of. 18xx and people who are really good at remembering all of the 18xx names can tell you exactly like oh it was you know 1830 well kind of 1829 is the granddaddy that francis tresham did with this very financially minded um everything's kind of in the stock market and the board kind of just makes the stock market matter more um, and so when we talk about 1830 style games, we're talking about games that lean very heavily into the financial side. And then um, Francis Tresham also was, uh, I, I believe he was also the designer of the 1825 series. And the 1825 series uh, really leans into the operational side of 18xx. This is, sometimes we call them like run good companies games. And you know, on one side of the coin, you are trying to make as much money as you can with no goal mm -hmm. of keeping your companies alive, just literally milk them for all they're worth and then get out of the way before they, they, they blow up. Or then on the other side, we have the, hey, if you do the best job at running a company and you've invested in that company, you're going to make the most money and you're going to win the game. And so that's kind of on the poles of that. And so that's what we see. We, when we, that's kind of everything is compared to an 1830 game or an 18, well, 25. The most common eight operational game that you can get right now is GMT's 1846. Sure. And so that's kind of the go-to operational uh, symbol, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of, you know, they're both good places to start. 
arguably. <laughs> and, but it's a, it's a continuum. But they're at for least sure, well right? known. Yeah. I'm sorry. What, it's a what continuum between this hard financial and this hard operational edges of the spectrum, though, right? There are games that right, are right. that are closer to either side, but uh, what are so play wise? Uh, I've always yeah. felt that the financial end of it is a little bit meaner, more of a yeah. uh, sharp edged game than the operational side. Yes. <clears throat> uh, the operational side, you can occasionally forget that you're playing a stock game. Uh, you mm. know, you buy the things that you think you might buy or you invest in the person who you think is going to run good because running good is how you win those games. Right. Right. But besides this kind of uh, sharp edged and more uh, run a good business kind of kinder side of things, because there are, you know, right. you can like a sharp edged game. Um, what sure. other big pieces kind of might make somebody prefer one or the other? What is the kind of preference that you have between the two? Hmm. Well, <clears throat> I like them both a lot because as we already discussed, we're Omni gamers. And so I can appreciate all of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I will say that my wife prefers the operational side of the genre because she has a Euro game background and she, um, you know, I tease her because sometimes she re- prefers to play like multiplayer solitaire Euro games mm-hmm. where she's playing on one side of the table. I'm playing on this side of the table. And then we kind of look up at each other at the end, at the end and compare scores. Mm-hmm. Right. And while I appreciate those games, they're not my favorite games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a perfect world, my wife would play, would prefer a train game, an 18xx game where she did her own thing. She had her own map. And at the end, she looked at me and my map, and she goes, oh, look, I made a better map than you did. <laughs> I guess I win. And so when we actually do play 18xx, though, that translates into her preferring operational games. Mm-hmm. Because the puzzle in an operational game is different than the puzzle in a financial game. Sure. Um, and the financial game is a lot about um, manipulating the stock values, making them go up when you want them to, making you go them go down when you want them to. Um, it's about kind of maybe even baiting other players in and mm-hmm. then leaving them with something that they didn't want. And, you know, it, so it's very take that and it's very interactive. Mm-hmm. Operationally, though, you, you do have a little bit more of like, you do you, I do me. And while we're participating and playing in the same sandbox you can often have those be pretty independent experiences Mm -hmm. where the interaction is literally how you may or may not cross paths or tracks Mm -hmm. on the board. And, or, you know, if as you may or may not invest in one another's companies, Mm -hmm. right? And so in those situations, an operational side person typically likes the puzzle of, hey, where do my routes go? How do I get the most money out of the trains that I have? Um, how does this look long term? What's going to change? What's going to upgrade? Um, and so that there's kind of like this trackling puzzle. And then there's also kind of seeing like potentials. Like so you're kind of measuring potential and you're saying like, Oh well, my company is doing really well right now, but it's not going to handle this upcoming this upcoming phase very well. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to invest in your company, which doesn't look great right now, but I think that it's going to have a really great run in about 
40 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so that's kind of like the operational puzzle. And then some games take that to greater levels. Like one of my favorite operational games is this 1822 system, which I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. And the reason why 22 is such a gem is because it takes a part of 18xx games, which are the privates. So there's multiple levels of companies within 18xx games and different games have different numbers of these companies, but they range kind of from private company to minor company to major company is kind of the general flow of those games. Mm -hmm. And so private companies in most 18xx games are represented as just little cards, little uh uh, basically, yeah, they're diff they're just cards that you get at the beginning of the game, and they cost you something. They usually are gotten through an auction, mm -hmm. and then they pay you out something every turn, and they may give you a special benefit. So they have something going on with them. Mm -hmm. And then, like major companies and minor companies, come out in different ways throughout throughout different games. And some games just don't even have them. But what's really unique about Twenty Two is that there's a huge pile of minor companies. And there's a huge pile of private companies, and then there's a pile of uh, major companies. And they come out variably between games. You can know the order they're going to come out in every game. It's open information, but the setup of that is variable. Mm -hmm. And the puzzle is, how do you take those things as they come out and weave them together to have this really great operating machine? Mm -hmm. And so there's this really cool aspect there that's unique to that particular genre of the operational side. Sure. Um, while the finance side, you might prefer if you really are into, you know, um, manipulating stock and really focusing in on, you know, making money where you can or getting people stuck on the hook where you can or capitalizing on and reacting well to what other people are doing. Do you think one of those sides is more subtle than the other? Like, GMT did 1846, uh, and that right. was the one that I introduced you and the Nykirks and several other right. people to. Uh, and right. it feels like that operational side, because you can ask, what should I be doing? And I can say, you should be making money. How do I make money? Your company makes money. Like, that feels mm. like a much more straight-ahead way to examine, even though it's still a complex puzzle uh, there's lots of stuff going on. There's lots of ways for you and I to to run into each other on the map. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like the financial games tend to be easier to miss some big hole that you're just going to fall into in a few minutes and then go bankrupt. Does that yeah. is that just me being relative <laughs> beginner seeing that kind of stuff, or is that does that hold even as you really get used to it? That's a great question. I think I would I would agree that like if you look at them inside their own spheres, the operational sphere seems a lot more straightforward um, and the financial sphere tends to be more opaque. Um, and so you learn pretty early on in financial games, <clears throat> like there's kind of cardinal rules of financial games, which is don't own enough shares in somebody else's company that they can end up giving it to you. And, you know, be very careful and, you know, always pay out because that makes your stock price go up and withholding makes your stock price go back. And there's all these kind of like cardinal rules. 
But just like how you have to learn to write English well to then write in your own style, it's the same thing with 18xx games, you know. Um, or you have to learn the rules of music before you can break them to do cool things. Mm -hmm. And that same is true for 18xx games, especially in finances. I think one of my favorite strategies in an 1830 style game, a financial style game, is that usually in the stock market, there are different levels of performance which means that there's different colors literally on the board and when it's in the white part of the board it's supposed to represent a well-performing company and then the worse the company performs it decreases in value and therefore as it drops into some of these lower values on the stock market they go into the yellow zone and then even into the brown zone and when those companies are in those different zones, they have different rules about how the actual stock holdings can be treated. And so the yellow zone typically means that they, if you own them, they don't count to the limit of shares that you can have. And the browns not only don't count to your limit, but usually you can hold them in excess of the maximum, which is 60%. So I really enjoy picking up a very broken company and getting it way down into that brown zone, owning 80 to 100% of that company, and then just start running it for all it's worth. And you know, if you get a really powerful train in this really terrible company and it's paying out for 15 to 20% better than a competitor and you're getting a hundred percent of that payout, you feel like a rock star. And Adam, I like feeling like a rock star. <laughs> it's good to feel like a rock star while you're playing a game with calculators and uh, poker chips. That's it's right. Like, but see, that's the really neat thing because yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're not gonna, but until you see it, you mm -hmm. don't know how powerful it is. Right. You know? And so it's one of those things that I've spent a lot of time doing on 18xx.games, the website, mm -hmm. because when I'm playing with random people, especially random new people, they don't know, they don't see this, they haven't seen this yet. Right. And so you just have this terrible company, nobody wants a part of it, mm -hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden you go from being $1,500 behind them mm -hmm. and in six operating rounds, you've surpassed them by $1,000 and they don't know why. But then the game is over. And I don't play a ton of games with a complete group of people I don't know, even sure. though I enjoy it. But I love showing that to people. And anybody who's played that will tell you that it's not it, it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, right. it's not the thing. It's not going to just happen, right? You have to very strategically kind of wade through that. And so I like I also like to pursue that because it feels like a little bit of a disadvantage because... 50% of the time, it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. You know, 50% of the time, you invest in this terrible company, you try to bring it out of the the bottom, and and you fail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you, you just go bankrupt. And you're like, well, I was trying to do this thing. It works out sometimes. <laughs> now, you know, in, in the year of our Lord COVID, uh, we are in this world where 18xx.games is kind of the way to play, which mm -hmm. kind of eliminates a lot of the length barriers that a game like this would otherwise sure. have because you're playing by email. Sure. Um, but when you're playing in person, we're still talking about six hour, eight hour, you know, day long games, right? You're probably not scheduling yeah. more than one or two of these a day. 
uh, at best. But that puts it in the same kind of world as Twilight Imperium. uh, Sure. Which a lot of people consider to be, oh, maybe I'll get to play this someday. Or we played this once Mm. and it was amazing. Uh, But I know a lot of 18xx people who play like every week. Why don't why right. aren't there people that just play, you know, why why don't you h- hear about people that play Twilight Imperium every week? Is it is it so is it such a different level of game playing or is it just a time and expectations thing or is there something else going on with with length? Because you know, we know you and I have talked a lot about games being good for a length. And if the game right, is longer right. than what it's good for, then it's it's not going to hit the table often. And if it's shorter than what it's good for, that's, that can be okay to a point. Um, right. Does 18xx compete at the length that it's talking about most of the time? Obviously, I mean, I would say would it does. Say yes. yeah. You know, obviously <laughs> I would. And I would say that there's a lot of people who, who also think that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unique because there are a lot of people who are in the camp of like, 18xx is the the pinnacle of their gaming experience Mm -hmm. and once they've experienced that they don't they don't go back there are Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are just lifestyle 18xxers Mm -hmm. and i love 18xx i mean i play 100 to 150 games a year of 18xx maybe more um but I still just love everything else Mm -hmm. you know and so and i want to go have those other experiences because as I've grown in my like tastes for diff- for the hobby, I go into those with different expectations. Every different kind of game, I go into it with a different kind of an expectation. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really important about like an 18xx game is um, that you build a culture in your game group about what that experience is. Sure, you know, and so you know the people I have about. I have about a dozen people in the Seattle greater area that are like my train gaming friends. Mm-hmm. And when we have a train game day, the expectation is that we come and we play train games all day. And that for us, that means like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about like 14 hour days. And the expectation is that we would eat and we'd have a fun time and we might play two games. Mm -hmm. We might play four games, depending how fast somebody goes bankrupt. (laughs) But, you know, for the most part, there's this expectation that what we're really doing is we're friends hanging out for 14 hours Mm -hmm. and we just happen to really enjoy playing these games together. So, but your question about Twilight Imperium is really interesting to me. And I can only imagine that... There is the Twilight Imperium experience, but I I actually think that the best comparison here is a war game because the question is, for me, I've played Twilight Imperium and I enjoyed it mostly because I enjoyed getting together with everybody. Did I think it was the best game I've ever played? No, I didn't. Um, And so then the question becomes, are there other games that scratch the same itch that don't take as long right or don't demand such a high player count like twilight imperium is clearly better at higher player counts than lower player counts well right? like i'm thinking about some other some other facets here like for one uh when you play when we compare 18 xx to ti ti3 ti4 uh there's a right. ton of 18 xx games 
And so right. game to game, day to day, you are playing a significantly different thing. You get to learn a significantly different set of, oh, this has these differences from core and a very different map. Um, mm-hmm. And Twilight Imperium 3 and 4, although I haven't played as much of 4, uh, it does, you, you're playing that game. You know, you're not playing a significantly right. different game from time to time, which can be fine. Like, I'm somebody who plays Here I Stand all the time, and it's definitely right. not the, a totally different game from time to time. Uh, but I think that that probably is part of it, because one of the other things that I know has that kind of uh, let's play it all day mentality among players is Magic the Gathering, where you sure. play in a tournament all day or you go to somebody's house and you play all day or whatever. And so maybe that's another big part of it is that it's more like it's a large enough subgenre that you Mm. could really find new things in it just all the time. Mm. See, I have another theory. Okay, talk to me. Another theory is that when you think about the typical person whose dream is to get together for a full day for uh, Twilight Imperium, Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know who you think or what you think that person is most regularly playing. Oh yeah, sure. Because the time you know, comparison their is very expectations. different, right? Yeah. If totally. you just get to play lunch games or you have your three hour game night or whatever, uh right. even even finding six people who are free for the time that right. you need to learn, let alone play, yeah, that's that's certainly a thing. Right. And well, then RPG I mean, nights, we talk right? about this Oh, totally. I mean, we've been playing games together for like 10 years. A while. But a while, right? And we we share all these common interests, which is so great. But to be honest, in this hobby, it's much easier to go and make new friends yeah. who want to do the same thing you're doing than to take your old friends and turn them into 14-hour-a-day train gamers. Right. <laughs> right? And so at some point, like, I've come to terms with the fact that, like, when I want a certain kind of gaming experience, I go to certain people for that. And luckily, the train gaming group, the train gaming culture in Seattle is awesome. And the people I get to play with are awesome. Uh, but, you know, my when when my wife and I have friends over for dinner, you know, we're pl- we're still playing like Carcassonne, you right. know, like and, and that's totally fine with me mm-hmm. because it's a totally different experience. But the people who come over for dinner once a month, well, you know, pre-COVID and hopefully someday again. Right. Um, in the, you know, I, I like I might invite them to a game night before I invite them to a 14 hour train game. Day. Yeah. Totally. You know, like at some point you have to this. It, it's got to be your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw my my thought, my 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 thought here is that people who are like thinking, man, Twilight Imperium, getting that to the table once, they probably don't have long, they may not be in a season of life where they get to have these long, you know, days. And totally. I mean, right now, we, you, you, have a, you have a daughter, but we don't have any kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife is very happy to let me go play train games for 14 hours so she can go on a hike with her girlfriends. Right. You know, at some point, like, you know, we have that opportunity. And then 
and I do have friends who have kids who play long games and they have really supportive spouses and they live in, they have, they have relationships where, you know, I have, we, I literally have friends who have nights of the week that they just trade off. Like Mm -hmm. they do weekends as a family, but Tuesday night is his night, whatever he wants to do. Wednesday night's her night, whatever she wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I think like there has to be, you know, if you want to prioritize a long game regularly, you're going to have to actually figure that out. Mm -hmm. If you were going to give somebody like somebody who might be in this situation where they've heard of this thing uh, and they might feel similar to TI about it, where they want to just give it a shot and not have to play, not have to try and set up that group of six and figure out an all day time frame. Like, how do you guide somebody into this kind of experience? Is 18xx games like the starting point now or... Is there a game that's for, small enough for somebody for 18xx games for somebody who's interested? Yeah, for 18xx specifically. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, it totally depends on where you live. If you live <laughs> in the Seattle area, yeah, talk go, to me. Talk to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you know, and there are a lot of people who are just like me all over sure. the place. I mean, there's plenty of train gaming podcasts out there. And, um, you know, and so there's pockets of people who love train games everywhere. And actually right now on 18xx.games kind of posted at the top of the site, they're putting together a Google map of where train gamers live because after COVID, you know, train gamers should be getting together. So hopefully it will get easier and easier to find train gamers in your area. But if you can't async, asynchronous play is a great way to get into this. And you can do that on 18xx.games. Um, the notifications for your turn pop up in your email. You open the app. You take your turn. It's mobile friendly, which is amazing. Toby Mao and all of the developers at 18xx.games are amazing. They changed COVID. They saved COVID. <laughs> they saved the train games. <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, I'm so thankful for this. And I mean, we could go on a whole another hour conversation on what it looked like to try and play online yeah. before 18xx.games. And I did it. And I will never return to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just night and day difference. And um, and yeah, and you can get into a game. You know, the cool thing about 18xx.games is it has a lobby where you can either create a game and say, hey, I'm new looking for first game. And I would recommend you play 1889 or 18 Chesapeake or 1846 as mm-hmm. one of your like starting titles. And you can read the rules um, they're linked in the game, or you can find those the three sets of those rules you can find online just Googling rule sets, PDF for 18 dot dot dot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great way to get started because you also don't have this time commitment. Sure. At least not at the same time. You know, I don't I, I don't admit how much time I think about 18xx <laughs> games when I'm in them asynchronously. Mm-hmm. Um, because your 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 turn's real quick. But the amount of time you can think about your turn can be quite long (laughs) between. So at the beginning we were talking about the three spheres, right? Where, right. Where do you think the has been most explored and where do you think has been least explored by designers and developers? Yeah, I think, um, due to the fact that most every 18 XX games has a different map, Mm -hmm. the map tends to be what I would see as being the most explored. Um, because you kind of, 
I mean, depending on different games, that whenever something new happens on a map, people are like, "Oh, that's cool." But it's it's getting to the point where, you know, I mean, you see these sometimes you see changes in that, but the map is mostly unique because of geography. Uh, because of geography, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so I would say that's probably a place that's been the most explored. It's maybe the most tapped, mind sure. you. You know, there's things you can try there, and people are still doing it. But I think that was the hardest to like innovate in. I think the least tapped space is probably the train roster, um, in my experience, because really, if you compare it to like a Euro game, the train roster, the trains in the game are really the tech tree, and um, and it's pretty linear as it is, and and if you kind of look to Euro games at tech trees and then you come back, or even video games, mm-hmm. and you come back to um, an 18xx game, you go, oh, this is, this is for the most part, pretty linear. And people have done some pretty cool things with the actual trains. You know, mm-hmm. like my favorite train in 18xx games is the 4D train. And the 4D is literally take your best four spots and double them. You know, usually they're in a line, but you know, that's cool. But I mean, you know, I can I can name like a dozen different kinds of trains, but that's kind of the extent of the way it's been explored. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been as much exploration in the way that it could it could diverge at any of these at any of these levels. It's sure. mostly fairly linear. And I don't know I mean, I've played a fair amount of the games. I don't know how much that has to be tied to it stays linear because it helps with game balance or whatever. But I think that would be a really cool space to innovate in. Um, I mean, there are there are there are 18xx kind of almost adjacent games. Uh, Poseidon and City of the Big Shoulders come to mind, right? As these. Yeah. You are running a company. There is a board that you manipulate and there is a market that you care about. But. They are so much on the fringes of what 18xx is. Like, how far do you think you could take a train tech tree before somebody would consider it more City of the Big Shoulders, like 18xx adjacent, than really in the genre? And 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 I guess the second question is, do we do we really care uh, in the grand scheme of things? Well, do we care is a very different <laughs> question than do train gamers care? Sure, sure. And and 18xx. Uh, hardcore 18xx players care a lot. Sure, um, th- they can be very vocal about all these different spheres, and I love them all dearly. I love you guys, but it's it can be hard for new players to come in to the space because, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's there's a way, mm-hmm. and whenever that's deviated from, questions have to be asked, um, and so. That's a good question. I don't know how far away you could get and still call it. I think it matters how much, how closely you you stick to other parts, right? Sure. How closely do you hold the other spheres? Because you know, you talk about Poseidon, mm-hmm. you talk about City of the Big Shoulders, um, but we haven't really touched at all upon Cube Rails, right. which is train games that you know usually hold one part of the sphere as an 18xx game, and then they change the other parts of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so whether it's you know, the map shifts because instead of laying track, you're laying cubes. That's where it comes from. You don't lay track tiles like you do in 18xx. You literally put cubes out on the board in some of the most popular or mainstream, I guess, cube rails titles. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, and I think it's really interesting because I would like to see a lot more cube rails ideas be 
um, laid on top of actual, like, full-functioning 18xx games. Mm -hmm. Because the allure of a cube rails game is typically time. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a group of guys that I, like, I play train games with, and we say that kind of in an umbrella term, because when we get together for a long game day, we're playing 18xx games, but... You know, when we get together for like a weeknight thing or even like a filler between the long games, we play a cubes rail game. Irish with, ra- gauge you know, or mini rails or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. R- ride ride the rails. Yeah. Mini express, mini rail. I mean, there's tons of them. Iberian gauge, you know, and these are I mean, I think I just named all the capstone ones. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's a ton of cube rails games that are really great. Mm-hmm. And um, and. You know, I'd love to see some of those ideas extrapolated out because those games, they play in like 30 to 45 minutes, you know, or maybe an hour or maybe an hour and a half. But for train gamers, that is quick. Right. You know, we're like, oh, my gosh, can Just you believe it? these out? a whole game in 60 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so so what is it that takes a long time? Like, I know I know that money takes a long time. So we always recommend using poker chips. I know that. Right. Route calculation, especially near the end of the game, can take a long time. Uh, what is yes. it, though, that that really... Because, you know, when you sit down to teach one of these games, especially one of the... You know, when I sit down to teach 1846, it's really not that complex of a game. Uh, if you can handle right. a Vital Lacerda game, this is easily simpler than that. Uh, there's oh, less. There's less interconnected pieces that you have to understand to get going. Uh, and a lot of it you can tie into relatively real life experience. Um, and so it feels like it should flow pretty quickly. But for some reason, you sit down, you play a few operating rounds and you get up and it's five hours later. Like, I don't. Right. It's hard for me to understand how long, how it, how could it take so long? Uh, yeah. Because it doesn't feel like there's you're chugging along in a, in a very real sense. Yeah. Right. No, totally. I mean, for me, the way I kind of think of it is that it's kind of exponential length. Oh, so sure. you may only have three or four players, but it, how many companies are in the game? You know, like you think about 18 Chesapeake, which is a great starter game, um, but it still has eight companies in it. Mm-hmm. And so if you have four players running eight companies, and so they're doing all of the long parts of the game... Um, twice in one round. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, all that time adds up, first of all. Second of all, um, you know, the game has to have a length arc, naturally, for all this to come to fruition, right? At some point, like, and that's one reason why people sometimes prefer financial games is because there's very real end game condition of someone going bankrupt and then the game being over. Mm -hmm. But... In operational games, especially, you run all the way till the bank breaks, mm-hmm. and depending on how much cash you put in that bank, um, you know, is it's almost a very clear indicator of how long the game is going to be. You know, we talk about short games being from like, you know, five to eight thousand dollars in cash in the game, and so you have to extract all that money through gameplay before it's over. But like eighteen thirty. Doesn't even have a huge bank, but it has a big bank for a financial game, and it's twelve thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, and the difference between eight thousand dollars and twelve thousand dollars is two hours, sure, probably. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone doesn't go bankrupt, and right. you know, people say eighteen thirty is not a long game, and those people are going bankrupt. 
and the people who are playing very fiscally responsibly and conservatively, those people are playing like seven hour games of 1830, sure. you know, and it just depends on the table and how people are reacting. And, and also we talked about the tech tree of the trains mm-hmm. and experienced players know where the edge is. So when I'm talking moderate strategy with 18xx players, I'm always talking about running the knife edge. Right, because I want to push it as close as I can to falling off. That's where I'm going to be most lucrative. That's where everything is going to be just chaotic enough that I might get somebody to make a mistake and then capitalize on that mistake. Mm-hmm. And so I always talk about running the knife edge. And when you're running the knife edge, you're pushing that tech tree, that game timer, really fast, really hard. New players, they they're like, oh, I can see that I have a run now for two cities and I therefore I need one to train. And, you know, and because a lot of that game timer is tied up to how fast the progression of the tech tree goes, mm-hmm. um, new players don't push that as hard and they tend to kind of stall out and then the game just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Mm-hmm. And so not only are they not making very much money because they're stuck in the lower branches of the tech tree, mm-hmm. but then they also are trying to just get all the money out of the bank. So they're kind of like, they're kind of facing um, that the, the hard parts of both sides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just kind of getting walloped by both sides. Huh. Um and so, and so that's part of it too. Some of it's just experience. And so that's why 18 Chesapeake, um, when Scott Peterson did 18 Chesapeake, that was such a great addition mm-hmm. to the catalog because he built in an export function of the trains so that no matter how fast the players are pushing the tech tree, the tech tree also exports on its own. And therefore, the timer continues to to go on even if the players aren't the ones who are actually pushing it sure so another thing that's come up in this you know as far as as far as length uh as far as as far as understanding it for new players as well is kind of player count questions and i know that it's really tough to find a good one at two or really even Mm -hmm. at three is that just sure. a natural, like, can you just not do it? Is that just a deal with, uh, do you just need enough players to do, to have an interesting market? Or is there just, is it too predictable at lower player counts? Like, what's the low player count problem? Well, the, the main problem with a two-player game is generally it's kind of zero-sum. So if there's 10 shares available for each company, and I buy six of mine and you buy four of them and then you buy six of yours and I buy four of them, then all of a sudden, you know, we're kind of like equally invested in each other's things. Too symmetric. And the question is, yeah, it's too symmetric. Can I manage to, you know, get a couple more dollars in the right places than you can? And that typically is not a very interesting experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for my money, if I've got two players, I'm probably not playing an 18xx game. And if you love 18xx games, there's two player options. Um, and I, I have more to say about that, but that's the general problem. <laughs> sure, right? sure, sure. Okay. And then the three player problem is that, um, in especially with uh, more uh, newer players, there can be a little bit of a king making problem mm-hmm. because if the question is who is capitalizing on the 
the the lowest player skill the best, mm-hmm. right? And so usually, in a, at least once you get to a four player game, you're a, allowing there to be space for people to check one another, mm-hmm. even if everybody's player skill is not equal. You still have enough going on. There's enough unique decisions being made, but sometimes in a three player game, there's not enough. There's well, sometimes there's too much space in the game, and so people still kind of do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the best three-player games are usually really tight games. Um, and so, like, my favorite three-player game is 1836 Junior, um, and that has a kind of a crazy name and uh, for multiple reasons, but that is just a very tight game. Mm-hmm. In fact, most people say it's just not fun at four because it's too tight. And I really enjoy that game at three-player. It's probably my favorite three-player game. Um, I will play just about any 18xx at three-player, though, because an 18xx game at three-player is better than a lot of games, in my opinion. Um, But uh, I prefer... Four is kind of the main player count that you want in an 18xx game. It gives enough of player dynamics around the board, and, um, and it's just... The system is just really built for four, and building systems for lower player counts in my opinion needs to be more intentional sure um and i think the the i don't know if it's an issue but i think generally when a designer goes about designing an 18xx game they design an 18xx game for four people Mm -hmm. and they might be like oh this could go up to six or they might be like this could play down to two um but generally you're saying oh well you know i usually play 18xx with three of my friends and therefore you know, we have a four-player game, and and as developers, we know that it takes work to make games work at multiple player counts. Mm-hmm. You know, very rarely, especially in development, do we see a game that comes in to, you know, it's, it's too often it claims like <laughs> one to eight players. You're like, no, no, <laughs> no, no that's no. not it. What are the setup rules? Let me see the setup. Oh, they're all the same yeah. for all the player counts? Mm. Right. And so at some point, you know, I mean, this is I don't think I've developed a game yet where I didn't have a player count conversation with the with the designer. Sure. Because it's always a conversation of like, well, what did you intend? Mm -hmm. And then, okay, if you intended that, what then did you change to incorporate a different player count? You know, and I think like, you know, often a game that's let's say a game claims one to four, but it was built for four. I often find that the most awkward player count is three mm-hmm. because you don't account for the fact that it's all like this tug of war between these three. Who's king making who, mm-hmm. you know, is always kind of this like balancing problem. And because at two, you have this clear, we are versing one another. Yep. At one, we can argue that the quality of the solo experience is all over the board but it's a lot easier to say like hey this is the experience of the game and we're going to give it to one person and you can't miss maybe we you, that you have to do work to make a solo mode you, you just can't right miss it. yeah it's easy to miss right. the that, game you know right. maybe we'll set up one fewer people uh maybe we just right. won't include carthage in our map of italy for the four player <laughs> right. version as opposed to five but yeah, it's right. that's one of the nice things about developing coin is that uh, you know you just have the player count and that's it. And it's like, well, if you want to play with anybody else, bots. 
And like we're right. <laughs> we're really want we want to, it's it's a weird it's a weird place to be because in many ways it's very similar to 18xx in that these right. are long games for relatively large player count about esoteric subjects uh, that are heavy and share many of the same mechanics between the individual games. Um, they're not. Right. I I believe that most of the coin games that I have would finish faster than 18xx, but that's because their clock is less player controlled. I think. Um, right. 18xx. Yeah, they're if you're usually new, deck controlled. Yeah. If you're new, if you're new on 18xx, you can slow the game down, but there's no way to slow an, uh, a coin down. Most of the time, uh, new players in coin are just somebody's going to win in the first. 12 cards or whatever because they don't understand how to balance yet. That but, first victory check. But that's okay, right? You know, it's I, you know, right. you and I would both probably argue that a quick game, especially your first game, is way better than a yeah. much longer game. Yes. Um, yes. I think that is a huge pitfall for 18xx. Sure. Honestly, I, I think there's still room for you know, I make this argument all, in all the genres of gaming, though, uh-huh. that there is not enough gateway games. Sure. You know, I do I love playing gateway games? No. <laughs> do I think they're super important to the hobby? 100%. Mm-hmm. Because the question is, how are we cutting the teeth of the kids in our lives that are going to become the next generation of gamers? Mm-hmm. How are we introducing our extended family to board games? Sure. How do I take somebody who's like, um, you know, never play, you know, I, you, the amount of times I've had the monopoly conversation oh, geez, yeah. is ridiculous, you know, like, especially being a board game developer, people, Oh, what do you do? Oh, you know, I develop board games. Oh, crazy. Like, I didn't know people did that. Well, you know, a few years ago, I didn't either really, but, um, but then you, then you start saying, and then, and then inevitably, inevitably monopoly comes up Mm -hmm. and as gamers, all hobby gamers know the monopoly conversation. Oh yeah. But the, but the question then is, you know, but I, I usually, this is what I usually do. Mm -hmm. I say, how, how did you like that experience? You know, I turn it around on them and I ask them, you know, and the most common response is, well, we we like playing games. Um, <laughs> it was kind of long, and it ended up being a two-player game at the end. And we just changed money a long time. You know, a lot of people just don't even know the rules of Monopoly, right. A. B, it's just broken for all sorts of reasons. We would never let that get through development. Mm-hmm. And um, and yet, it's, it's the mainstay of the non-hobby gaming world. Mm-hmm. And so what I say is like, okay, here's the thing. Here's three games, each of which plays under 30 minutes. I promise you, if you pick these up, it's three games under 30 minutes, under $30. And if you pick them up and you play them with your family, you will never play Monopoly again. You know? And and I and I and I I win that all the time. And those games, Sushi Go, King Domino, and like uh, Deep Sea Adventure are some of my favorite introduction games to show people. They're so small, quick, easy to pick up, and people lose their mind over them. They're mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, what is this world? And you're like, welcome. <laughs> you know, we're friendly and fun. Come play and hang out with us. You know, and I think the exact same thing is so important for every genre. You know, I, um, 
we both work with GMT and we know that the coin series is a big thing. And, you know, and one of the things that's really important, a conversation that I bring up pretty often is, you know, what are we doing for getting people to the coin system? You know, and there's this there's this desire you know, because they're just like 18xx. Like, I'm a huge proponent for simplified 18xx to bring people in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so similarly, like, what are we doing for the coin genre? And, and you know, that conversation is, is a hard conversation because mm-hmm. at some point there's an expectation and the market share that they hold, anybody holds, like 18xx or coin, the market share they hold when the new game comes out they don't want it to be easier, mm-hmm. you know. They want it to be the next cool thing. I mean, I'm I even I fall victim to this in 18xx. Scott Peterson runs all aboard games. He's been doing an amazing job at getting great games uh, available. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story of how hard it was to get 18xx games even five years ago is a long one, but he's really made it possible for people to fairly regularly and easily pick up games. He just moved. I think last week to a model of having his online store open to just be filled within a week of ordering the game, which sounds so normal in the Amazon world. <laughs> right. But, but these are games XX, that you had to manually of. assemble, you know, relatively right, recently. Right. Uh, side markets right. opened up for here's how you can get uh, wooden tokens and stickers and special 100%. boards and all sorts of stuff. Right, and so one of the games that he put out mm-hmm. as a standalone game, it originally came in a pack of games, he put out a game called 18MS, which stands for Mississippi. And it is a very dry 18xx game. <laughs> it is a phenomenal teaching tool, sure. a phenomenal teaching tool. It's like the game that you have in your collection so that you can say like, oh, you want to try 18xx? This is this is the game. It's like if people recommend 89 or 46 or Chesapeake, they're probably recommending it because they'd like to play that with you. And it's a pretty good starting spot. 18 Mississippi MS is just an introductory game from my, for, for my money. Sure. It's just an introductory game. But it does that extremely well. But on the flip side of that, as a 18XX gamer who waits for him to put out his new set of games he's going to make you know, he's going to mass produce when I see 18 MS on there. My first reaction is, Oh, that that's taking the I've spot seen of something all of that. else. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, oh, uh, okay. I guess like, I don't know why, you know, 18 scan isn't in, on here, but you know, but okay, I get it, you know? And so, but, but the developer and the, um, inclusive gateway enthusiast, Maybe you could say like the board game evangelist, you know, I'm pumped for that title Mm -hmm. because it allows me to make that bridge with some of my gaming friends who, you know, because that game plays in 90 minutes. Yeah. Because it's the what's unique about MS is that it literally has an operating round track similar to Poseidon. Sure. Where there's a set number of sock rounds and operating rounds and the game is over. It's just over when it's over. There's no other timer. There's no money timer. There's no tech tree timer. It's just like these are the number of rounds that are in the game. Every every round we move it closer to the end. When it's over, it's over. So, and that's really great for new players because it's just trying to figure out how to optimize on a clock, which is also a great skill to take into other 18xx games. Mm-hmm. In the same kind of vein as MS taking a slot, uh, 
I there are a lot of of older HNXX games that have fallen out of print. Uh, like I've I've always wanted to play the Asteroid Belt one. Um, right, twenty thirty eight. Yeah. Do these do these not show up because they are difficult to get some kind of a licensing or a designer agreement or a publisher agreement, or do they not show up because of this more kind of uh, players want to see something new. Like everybody that wanted to play 2038 has 2038. Like it didn't need the, the hobby was not so big, but now that things are happening again, I I know that there are reprints like 46 was a reprint, right? 22 Mm -hmm. was 22 a reprint. The one that you have was 22. Yeah. The copy of 22 Um, that you have. Well, I don't have a copy of 22 yet (laughs) because it, because I kickstarted it and it's on its way. Sure. 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 Right. So 22 is in this middle spot where it was originally hand, it was originally handmade, right? But overall, it was um, it was a game that Scott Peterson, who runs All Aboard Games, was also um, not only hand making, but he then like he was all he was always the one producing that game uh-huh. so that was a little bit of a different experience <laughs> whereas whereas like some of these other games you're talking about yeah mm-hmm. it's all of the above it's all of the above it's hard to get the designer maybe to say yes it's hard to just line them up like you just can't reprint them all mm-hmm. i mean you know um even getting permissions on 18xx games was really difficult sure um just to track down all of these people and so as somebody who's been you know kind of following very closely 18xx.games since the beginning you know i've seen the document of like all of the titles and whether or not they have permission for them because they have they have coders developers who are basically using their free time to make game boxes so you know so that these titles can be on the website and so literally it's huge i mean it's hundreds of titles and whether or not they have permission or not and and then you know you have people who there's developers who put their name by one of them and say like i'm gonna work on this and they take on that side project and that's how 18xx.games happens but from like all aboard games standpoints from scott peterson's standpoint like i mean i joke about i joked about this with him on twitter i said he he announced a new wave of games i said scott it's only been a couple of months i don't have any more dollars to give you <laughs> you know at some point like i mean the they're coming so out big, faster yeah. than they've ever came out mm-hmm. and and while it's still um working i mean it's working really well sure you know and there's actually multiple companies who are mass producing 18x games this is mind-blowing for anybody who's been in the hobby for you know more than a couple of years um but yeah i mean all of the things you mentioned it's hard to get maybe it's hard to get rights maybe it's hard to relinquish rights from old publishers maybe designers are like kind of lukewarm on redoing the whole thing i mean 1860 just had a, a big reprint and you know the designer is still working on other things and was like hey you know you want to do a reprint just I'll, I'll allow you to do the reprint as long as you just do it the way it was done because I don't have time right now to update quote update it or fix it or it doesn't need fixing but just you know like I like the art how it is I don't have time to approve um, you yeah. know go through re-arting it or whatever you know mm-hmm. and so there's there's just a long list of reasons um from like just the time it takes to actually get something to market or even you know i mean some of these games are i mean for you know 1830 came out 
you know, all the way back in the 70s, you know, or something like that. And so these games have been around for 50 years, Mm -hmm. almost. I think it was late 70s, but it could have been late 60s. I wasn't alive yet, so I don't know. (laughs) But, um, but, uh, you know, they've been around for almost 50 years or Mm -hmm. over 50 years. And so there's just been a lot of innovation in those 50 years and tracking all of them down and getting them all into print. That's a, that's another lifetime's worth of work. (laughs) Awesome. So we talked about doing about an hour, uh, and this Mm -hmm. is about an hour. uh, And we covered, uh, one small game genre, kind of a niche game genre. So I feel like we probably have content for at least two or three more of these, which is exactly what I was looking for, (laughs) for the, for the time being. Uh, perfect. What do you think? I will say, I well, this you know, obviously it's being recorded, but we you can cut and whatever. I, I think that I can edit to make it say to make you say whatever you want, whatever I want you to say. So you got to be <laughs> that's very true. careful. That's true. It's dangerous. I got to be very careful. <laughs> um, you know, I think for like the sake of the podcast, I think it would still be interesting to like have segments like that, but also to have like some of the update things mm-hmm. that we also talked about doing. Sure. And so going forward, or even like. You know, the beauty of editing is you can be like, oh, we're doing this and then we're putting this at the front, you know, and saying like, hey, we're playing this. That's what that's as far as we got. We didn't really get to what we're working on. And I think people might find that interesting. Um, you know, we can say differing amounts of things. And um, so I think like it'd be really rig- It'd be cool to have like ex- people come in expecting to hear certain things. Sure. You know, like. Not just like, oh, they're going to randomly talk about games for an hour, but they're also going to say like, hey, we're playing this right now and it's cool and we like it. And um, and then we're also, you know, working on these different things. And I think that's the one thing that makes this poten- potentially really unique is we're always working on new games <laughs> or different games or something. Right. And so so that's kind of interesting. And then we talked a little bit about development, but it could be in the future. It'd be good to see more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because we could, I mean, we could, you know, do the same thing for just about, I mean, I'm just looking at your shelf. Uh, sure. Let's, here, you know, let's here, talk look about, at, look at my let's shelf. talk splatter spelling. Let's look over here. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about Chad Jensen. You know I mean? Like we could do this forever. So, um, I can't, I can't so that's something Chad to consider. Jensen. So that's, that's the, uh, he's, he's too perfect right. is the problem. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I think, uh, I think that there's. There's stuff there. One of the nice things about it is that if if the format is an hour, um, like a one-topic podcast per episode is very reasonable. Uh, totally. You know, I can put on the title, Ken and I talk about 18xx for a while, and that tells you exactly what's on. <laughs> that's true. You know, that's exactly true. what's on the tin. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's no big deal, right? And if you do an episode, if your recurring format is, let's talk about games that we've recently played, you're not going to be able to talk about them in enough detail to make it really worth right. it, right? No, uh, you're right. You're right. You, you know, it's going to be a lot of cults of the new and playtester stuff, and that's not helpful right. to anybody. But if we that's say, true. hey, you know, we're going to talk about Prime Minister in this podcast for an hour... That's right. That's a legitimate amount of amount of. No, I mean, that totally makes sense to me. I think that I had a conversation um, actually with John Mm -hmm. the other day. We were out on a walk and we were talking about how monotonous some board game podcasts get to be. Yeah, because I am I'm not a huge fan of the of the 
what did you get and what new titles came in and what new titles did you play? And then here's a pseudo review. Like those no podcasts way. have a place. And then there's, and there's always a list at the end or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh yeah. What's your favorite things? You know? And I don't, I don't really, that's not my favorite, no. you know, style. I'm much, I, I far greater prefer just hearing people talk about their games or their experiences or actually getting into strategy. Oh, but another thing that I really appreciate one of my favorite podcasts for board games is Game Brain. And Game Brain has a very clear, some of it I don't love, but what I really like about it is I know exactly what they're going to talk about mm-hmm. every week as far as like, these are the four things they always do, you know? And so it's like, well, I might skip the review, but actually, I actually, I appreciate their reviews more than anybody's because they are the most thoughtful reviews sure. I've ever heard in a podcast format. But anyway, my point being that I just don't want to be too standard. Like, sure. I, if we're just going to get together and talk for an hour, I love that. That, And I think people find that interesting. I, I think you know. that as long... One of the things that I want here is the, the nice thing that an interview format allows you to do is that you get to talk about stuff that's just talking about stuff. And that's nice, right? right? There are right. There are other conduits for review. And there are other yeah, I don't conduits. want to do review. No. <laughs> and there are other conduits for critique. And a lot of what those conduits need to do to survive, uh, which, you know, good on them, is play new things all the time. Because you can't right. review a new thing until you've played it. Just kind of as a matter right. of course. Uh, but we could talk about HNXX again and have a very different conversation. We could talk about beginner games again and have a very different conversation. We could talk about coin and have 20 different conversations, right? Um, Sure. That are not really, should you buy this game conversations? And they are not really, did I like playing this game conversations? So much as they are, let's look at this experience. How did they make this experience? What kind of work went into this? What is this experience trying to be? Uh, yeah. Do I think that this experience, like, does it succeed at doing that? Is it interesting for that? Uh, what kinds of games would I like that do similar things? Uh, you know, all these, all this kind of stuff that is very much just hanging out and talking for a while, but at least. Yeah, I love that. You know, I love that. Funneling it into at a small subject bubble. So you can right. be like, oh, yeah, this is the episode on 18XX. 